This is 112BK coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn. On the show today, how Brooklynites from Sunset Park are working to bring relief to Puerto Rico, the effort to add some color to New York's historically white-dominated art scene, and 100-plus local vendors show off their stuff at the Brooklyn Holiday Bazaar. Hi, I'm Ashley Ford, and thanks for joining us today. It's Thanksgiving time. And I know I paid the holiday a bit of disrespect when I talked about setting up my Christmas tree before Turkey Day, which I did, and it looks great. And I'm not going to redeem myself right now by bringing up the troubled history of Thanksgiving, the granddaddy of America's troubled history, because it has to do with one of our founding narratives. Maybe, as we reconsider American monuments to our storied and oftentimes racist, segregationist, and brutal past, this is another American monument that requires some rethinking, without losing sight of what Europeans contributed to this great and complex land of ours. Okay, well, I know I'm gonna give thanks that we can sit around the table and argue about all this over the turkey and sweet potatoes with marshmallows, that we can actually enjoy ourselves a little more knowing we're honoring and remembering the truths behind our country's founding and understanding ways each of us can pay tribute to that spirit. Whew. Now stay tuned for a filmmaker who's gonna tell us what he's been seeing on his trips to Puerto Rico with a group of Brooklyn volunteers. The co-founder of Museum Hue, which wants to change the art scene's hue to anything but white. In an event this weekend that puts the shop local movement in one handy location. Yesterday, when the Park Slope Food Pantry, Chips, came on the show, we spoke about those among us who, without food kitchen help, won't get that big Thanksgiving meal we're all counting on. When it's not a big holiday, it's even worse for way too many Brooklynites. The newly released annual report from Hunger Free America says that from 2014 to 2016, 11% of our borough's children and 15% of seniors didn't have enough to eat. Even among employed adults, one in nine were considered food insecure. Overall, the rate of hunger in the city is still higher than it was a full decade after the Great Recession. And surprise, President Trump and House Republicans are proposing major cuts to SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. The word priorities somehow pops into my head. From hunger to housing, that long-running fight over what to do with the Bedford Union Armory seems to have been resolved, if you don't count all the accusations heard at a city council hearing on Tuesday. The council's land use committee approved a deal whereby the development will include no condominiums and more rental units, with more of those aimed at moderate and low-income tenants. Lori Cumbo, council member for that district, said earlier plans would have led to mass gentrification and called Tuesday's compromise the most significant new affordable housing project Crown Heights has seen in decades. Opponents, on the other hand, say the new plan will still mean more gentrification. They wanted 100% of the units as affordable housing. Jonathan Weston of New York Communities for Change said, quote, this is planned gentrification, driven by the gentrification mayor and rubber stamped by Lori Cumbo. And from Cumbo to Columbus, how do you like our segues today? Good? They're good. That's Columbus as in Columbus Circle where the Italian explorer statue is now the focus of an effort by some to remove his monument, along with some others across the city. At Borough Hall on Tuesday, says Brooklyner.com, a public hearing was held by, ready? The Mayoral Advisory Commission on City Art, Monuments, and Markers. A big part of the debate is, 
Does Columbus come down for his historical crimes or stay up as a positive cultural icon, possibly along with educational materials that lay out both sides of the issue? A woman from the Dominican Republic, citing the destruction done by Columbus and his followers, said this, he's no hero. If we put up a statue honoring him, we're also honoring the pain he caused the natives. On the other hand, said State Assemblymember William Colton, speaking for many of his constituents in Bensonhurst, Bath Beach, and Gravesend, who want to continue honoring Columbus, there's nobody who has no flaws whatsoever. Tough to argue with that, even if you'd like to see someone else looming over Central Park. Coming up, relief efforts continue in Puerto Rico, with local orgs pitching in. Two months after Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico, half of the island is still without power. On top of that, on Tuesday, the obscure Montana contractor Whitefish, which, to the surprise of many, won the $300 million contract to help restore Puerto Rico's power grid, announced it's stopping its work due to lack of payment. Yes, their contract had been canceled because it was only a two-person company and they had ties to a Trump cabinet member. Still, they were expecting to continue working until December. So as troubles mount, and without a concerted federal effort to bring relief to the island, grassroots organizations are filling the void. And one of those is right here in Brooklyn. Andrew Vargas is a filmmaker and activist with El Grito de Sunset Park. He's been documenting their work on the island, and he's here to tell us about the process of recovery. Thanks for joining us on 112BK. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're so happy to have you. We yeah. need more people coming on and telling us who have seen it with their mm -hmm. own eyes what what's happening yeah. on the ground in Puerto Rico. So can you just start by giving me a sense of what you saw when you were there? Well, actually, I'm I'm on the the other end. Um, I work with um, Dennis Flores, who's the mm -hmm. founder of El Grito, <clears throat> mm -hmm. who's also a documentary filmmaker. Mm -hmm. um, so he's been. So uh, he goes. He he went mm -hmm. just a week after. We're leaving again on Saturday for oh, another wow. trip, and this time I'm going. But I've been editing the material. Right. So I've been in a dark room, looking <laughs> over hours and hours and hours of the what footage. What seeing? Um, seeing a lot of. I mean, again, this footage was from just a week after. Right. So uh, a lot of just a lot of desperation, but a lot of solidarity. Mm -hmm. That um, people really working together, um, just human chains, to yeah. unloading uh, water, unloading food, uh, people being really patient, mm -hmm. um, and and helping each other out. That's really, I think, one of the most positive things I've seen. You, I mean, it's it's a desperate situation. Yes, but. Um, the, the people aren't desperate. Mm -hmm. The people aren't desperate. The people are helping each other out. The people are coming together, um, and it's it's been really heartwarming. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing you know now about more than two months on, more than two months. Um, in this sort of prolonged emergency situation, mm -hmm. how people are reacting. I have friends on the island <clears throat> who've told me recently that they're just really getting sick of. This one friend called it an endless camping. Yeah. So um, eventually, you know, you can't, like, you lose your patience. Yeah. You lose your patience. I mean, there's progress, and like you said, like, these mm -hmm. people aren't desperate. You know, yeah. desperate, I think, uh, takes away a certain amount of dignity uh, absolutely. in a group. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, you don't want to describe people that way, but yeah. there are still huge issues, and you guys 
are seeing some of those, not just on camera, but you know, you like at least some of you have seen it yeah. in person. Yeah. You're the one who's in the editing room and yeah. you're going, why are you going? Yeah. What El Grito has really spearheaded as part of this uh, Sunset Park Relief Coalition, mm -hmm. which brings together um, a few different organizations, the National uh, Coalition of Latino Officers, the Village mm -hmm. of Sunset Park, but um, is a, it's a community response. Right. Because what we saw, for whatever reason, um, I, I'll leave it to the investigative journalists to really uh, dig into where the failures are mm -hmm. um, from FEMA and the federal government. But what, what we have seen is that they're not meeting the need. Right. Simply put, there's a big hole there that needs to be filled. Right. Um, so uh, El Grito has been spearheading a community-led grassroots effort. Mm -hmm. um, and we've been learning, there's been a lot of activity on this end. Yeah. Um, because we've basically been learning uh, about, you know, shipping. Mm -hmm. We've been learning about uh, trucking. <laughs> we've right. been learning, and these are things that we've, you know, just on the fly over the last two months been mm -hmm. figuring out how to do and basically setting up uh, this alternative transportation infrastructure mm -hmm. to just cut through the red tape and get things right on the island. And we've had a lot of help from different organizations. Um, the Ricky Martin Foundation actually got got our first shipment of oh, wow. medical supplies out on a cargo plane mm -hmm. that belongs to the foundation. Um, so we've had a lot of support, but it's really, it's community-led. Um, we've managed to do a lot of fundraising. We managed to get some people um, uh, paid to be right. in our warehouse, um, helping with just the logistics. So we're there really filling a hole Mm -hmm. um, to get these basic necessities, food, water, yeah. generators, into the hands of people who need them and yeah. just cutting through whatever this logistical failure is. Red tape. It's red tape. Bureaucracy. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's bad. It's frustrating. It's, it's very really frustrating. frustrating. So when you go this next time, what will you be filming? Um, well, we want to go back to Aguadilla, which mm -hmm. is where Dennis um, did some of his earlier filming. Mm -hmm. um, and that was one of the most isolated, just because of the, right. you know, geographic conditions, was one of the more isolated towns, and it's a big town, mm -hmm. uh, on the western coast. Um, and Dennis actually helped organize a shipment of food and water oh, yeah. in that first week. The community coming together was all based out of a clinic mm -hmm. in Aguadilla. What happened is Dennis had gone um, a few days earlier and saw that there was this great need for basic necessities, right. that Aguadilla was just cut off. Mm -hmm. um, and somebody from an organization in Minnesota called uh, Fondo Boricua got in touch with him to see if he could help with the logistics of getting some of their donations out to the people. So he went back to San Juan, mm -hmm. um, rallied up some truckers, and uh, brought a huge shipment of water and food to Aguadilla. So what we see in these images is this community center, this sort of uh, spontaneous community center out of this clinic, mm -hmm. um, bringing people together to unload this, this shipment and distribute it to people who had been lined up very patiently waiting. And then um, they actually loaded up some trucks and they went through the dark streets at night because mm -hmm. there was no electricity just honking their horn and yelling right. and uh, telling people to come out and offering water. And you see the people coming out, you know, half asleep coming out oh. and taking armfuls of water. 
Um, so it's really, really powerful stuff. So we want to follow up, mm -hmm. actually, with that, with that community and that effort. Um, and some other organizations that we've been in touch with in um, uh, a public housing community called um, Llorens, Llorens Torres. Mm -hmm. uh, we did some shooting there um, and in La Perla, which mm -hmm. is um, you know, a very sort of uh, historic, traditional community in San Juan. Yeah. Um, and just basically go back and touch base with mm -hmm. these places where we had shot and see see how things are moving along. Yes, understandable and perfect. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. I know I know from experience how long these things take when yeah. you're editing and trying to get something out, but I'm looking forward to yeah. seeing it um, just because I think more of us need to be able to have that visual representation of yeah. what's happening there. Can you tell me really quickly, anybody who's interested in the coalition, who's interested mm. in this work, like how do they find you? Um, sunsetparkreliefcoalition.org. That's where um, we're, we're going to be putting up short clips. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we're doing a longer documentary. We really mm -hmm. want to do a, a sort of deep, uh, immersive, uh, documentary, but we're also going to be putting out little clips. You can also donate um, mm -hmm. through sunsetparkreliefcoalition.org. Mm -hmm. um, we also have a relief center in Sunset Park um, at 6833rd Street. Mm -hmm. um, that's where we have the warehouse, where right. uh, and we're you know we have volunteers still coming through, which is also very heartwarming. Well, thank you so much for being thank here. You. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Up next, diversifying the traditionally white-dominated arts and culture industry. Don't go away. When you think of arts and culture, what tends to come to mind? Paintings by dead white men? Music by dead white men? Poetry by dead white men? Do you see a pattern emerging? Well, so does Museum Hue, a New York arts and culture organization. They're working to change this narrative and carve out a space for people of color and creators of color, building community and support within historically white spaces. Not only that, their work also seeks to expand the arts and culture umbrella to get even more people involved. Here to talk about that today is Stephanie Cunningham from Museum Hue. Stephanie, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be on the show today, Ashley. I'm so happy to have you. Can you start by telling me about the mission of Museum Hue? Sure. So Museum Hue's mission essentially is to foster the social cohesion, well-being, and economic impact that arts and culture offer for creatives and communities of color. What makes, muse what makes Museum Hue different from other organizations that are, you know, they talk about wanting to increase diversity mm -hmm. or they talk about, you know, just wanting to see more diverse spaces or yeah. art in a place? Yeah. So different from other organizations that talk about diversity, Museum Hue has a real actionable approach. Mm -hmm. um, we offer opportunities for people of color to experience uh, arts and culture among community mm -hmm. and as all on top of that we also offer an opportunity for people to learn different skills so whether it be branding skills or um, cover letter critiques uh, resume writing wow. different ways of introducing um, people within the field is really important to us mm -hmm. so what about the people who go oh you know like I, I draw a little bit mm -hmm. or you know I write a little bit maybe yeah. I do a little bit with video but I'm not an artist mm -hmm. um, how do you talk to those people and explain to them how pervasive yeah. art is 
So one thing that Ai Weiwei, I'm an artist, says is that everything is art, everything is politics. Mm -hmm. So everything that we do every day is artful. And so allowing people to see that and to see that maybe the things that they're also interested in can also be a part of arts and culture. So we're also trying to remove this hierarchy of what mm -hmm. can be considered art. So yes, landscape paintings are, is art portraits are art, but also hip-hop ciphers we know mm -hmm. are art. Uh, the Showtime dancers on the train, that's art as well. And so we're increasing uh, people's knowledge on what we can see and accept as art. And so kind of infiltrating these white spaces uh, mm -hmm. like museums that have exclusionary practices, but on top of that, kind of activating our own spaces as well, right. uh, whether it be within or outside of those institutions. What are some of the organizations that you've worked with so far? Yeah, so we've worked uh, with organizations throughout New York City. So mm -hmm. whether it be the Brooklyn Museum, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Whitney Museum, um, we've also gone to um, the Brooklyn Public Library, mm -hmm. where we host our university workshops. Um, also, even in the Bronx, Bronx Museum of Art. So we really try to spread um, out far and wide throughout the city and also expanding outside of New York City to even New Orleans. We've hosted a, an event also in New Orleans and wow. Washington, D.C. as well. So Museum Hue is an organization created right here in Brooklyn, New York, mm -hmm. but we've expanded um, to other places throughout the nation wow. and also worldwide. So you've taken Brooklyn global. Yes. Is what you're telling Brooklyn me. Brooklyn has gone global for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, I yes. love that. What are some of the community responses that you guys have gotten from the work you've done? People have been really excited about Museum Hue because, again, because of our actionable approach, mm -hmm. because of the fact that we focus on community culture and careers as well. So it's not just about introducing people to the field, it's also about showing people how they can be successful mm -hmm. within the field as well. And so to your point about people say, I, I may write a little bit, maybe I draw a little bit. Well, let's see what else you can do within that. Let's see what where you can take your drawing. Let's see where you can take your writing. And so introducing people to those different forms of artistic skills mm -hmm. and taking them along uh, for perhaps another opportunity or an opportunity within the field that allows them to use that creativeness, whether it be that drawing or that writing. And how does this specifically benefit people of color yeah. or marginalized communities in yeah. general? So absolutely the economic impact. Mm -hmm. So we're helping people gain opportunities in the field. And so specifically, we've helped over two dozen people gain real jobs, like putting money wow. in people's pocket. And we know that's a huge need in our community. And so it's not, this is not just like something real cute to do. Like, mm -hmm. yes, we ha we're having a good time and arts and culture is beautiful in all its form. Mm -hmm. However, what we want to see is more people of color being a part of the creative economy. Right. Right, yep. which is so important yeah. because that says something about value totally. and about whose voices are Totally, value. and the creative economy is so vast, and mm -hmm. so people don't know that there's so many aspects of arts and culture. Mm -hmm. You can be the artist, but you can also be the curator. You can mm -hmm. also be in development. You can be in education. Mm -hmm. It's different parts of the arts that we also have to introduce our community to as well. Speaking of community, what are some of the awesome things that you guys are doing right here in Brooklyn? 
So here in Brooklyn, one of the things that's really exciting that's coming up is we are working on possibly uh, partnering again with the Brooklyn Museum, but then also with Brooklyn College as well. So we really want our university workshops to also be within colleges and, and universities. We did it in Manhattan at the uh, City College, mm -hmm. uh, and so we also want to bring that here to Brooklyn as well. Um, and again, continually using like the Brooklyn Public Library and even Brooklyn Commons, uh, which is a community uh, working space as mm -hmm. well. So utilizing the spaces that are right here in Brooklyn, also highlighting cultural, cultural specific institutions as well, like perhaps Makata, Museum of Contemporary African Diaspora and Art, right. not too far from here as mm -hmm. well. And so the BAM Theater um, as well, and possibly also starting uh, a real partnership with BRIC right here as well. And so we're always looking at different cultural spaces on ways that we can partner with them right here locally in Brooklyn. I love that. Yes. So uh, say I'm a person who, you know, I, I want to say it's not me, but let's be real, it's maybe <laughs> me. If you're a person who wants to get involved with Museum Who, yeah. Museum Hue, if you're a person who wants to know what Museum Hue is doing in your community, you want yeah. to make sure you check out events, you want to make yeah. sure that, you know, if they're doing a call for artists or yeah. something like that, that I know that that call is mm -hmm. happening and maybe I can be involved. Yeah. How do I find out about all that? Definitely. So Museum Hue, how we even began was taking advantage of social media. Mm -hmm. So our community, a large part of our community lives online. So right now what we do is we post everything to our Facebook uh, page, so I would encourage everyone to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We also have a private Museum Hue community page on Facebook where folks can also get um, information about resources, so mm -hmm. job opportunities, internships, uh, professional development, all mm -hmm. those different things are also provided within the Museum Hue community. Okay, well, I didn't know that this organization was so amazing, to be perfectly honest, until it came across my desk, but I'm yeah. so glad to know about you guys now. Yes. I really appreciate you coming on today and talking yeah. about all the awesome things you're doing in Brooklyn and yes. globally, yes. apparently. Well, trying, but we have monthly events that we offer. Like I mm -hmm. said, our museum tours, where we basically roll like 15 to 30 deep to cultural wow. institutions where we get to see art, perhaps on view, uh, behind the scenes, mm -hmm. but then also also having real discussions about uh, practices within museums, whether it be curatorial practices, but also how we can continue to increase um, our visibility and viability within cultural spaces um, and activate our own spaces. And so we're not just only looking at large um, uh, institutions like the Met and the Whitney, we're also very much uh, wanting to support cultural specific institutions again. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, Makata, Museum of Chinese Art mm -hmm. um, down in Manhattan, Studio Museum in Harlem. Right. So it's really essential to us that we're also highlighting and bigging up these uh, institutions that have been doing the work of inclusionary mm -hmm. practices for um, our communities. Thank you so much. Yeah, I thank you. It. Thank you. Next. Sure, you may think Thanksgiving marks the start of the holiday season, but really, isn't it when you start shopping for you-know-what? How to do that and support Brooklyn artists and artisans coming up. I've been thinking about spicing up my wardrobe a little lately. Some crystal earrings, maybe some art leggings. If you're a homer like me, why even leave Brooklyn? And this weekend, there's an event that'll let you get your shop local on all in one place. Okay, 
two, to be exact. More than 100 local vendors are coming together at the Brooklyn Holiday Bazaar to show off their crocheted stuffed animals, hand-woven scarves, and elephant lamps. Here is Teresa Lagerman, the bazaar's organizer, and all with all the handmade details. Teresa. Right. Thank you so hello, much for hello. being here. Tell me Thanks about this bazaar. Me. Tell me what can people expect from the event this year? Uh, well, this is our biggest year. We're really excited to expand to a second venue. So we're going to be able to bring more of all of these uh, talented handmade makers that you were talking about. We're mm -hmm. going to have, you know, there's really something for everyone, which is something that we strive to do every year. Have mm -hmm. um, a variety of vendors you know we have a lot of brands for kids we have um, you know quirkier things like those elephant lamps that we were talking about right. we have fashion we have tons of artisanal food um, and just you know lots of um, other reasons for people to come and shop local we have lots of great food and drinks mm -hmm. um, you know from Brooklyn made gin or um, sparkling coffee um, to tacos, pizza from Table 87. I mean, there's really a lot of yeah. good stuff to eat and drink. And then we also have a lot of activities for kids uh, mm -hmm. to keep them busy. We have some crafts with Jimboree. Um, we have Court 16, who does indoor tennis lessons for kids. They're mm -hmm. coming over and they're going to set up a little practice. So there is, you know, besides the shopping portion, which is kind of our, right. uh, our forte, there is, uh, we just like to make it just really fun for the whole family mm -hmm. and everybody can, you know, have a good time while they're shopping local. Heck yeah. Do you have any unique aspects this year, things you're particularly excited about to see at the bazaar? Ah, there's just so many, so many great vendors. I mean, we yeah. have such a great lineup this year. There's a lot of wonderful uh, clothes and uh, toys and all kinds of stuff. But yeah, I'm really excited about all the artisanal foods that we're bringing mm -hmm. this year. It was kind of a, a smaller part in our previous years and this year we're kind of almost setting up like a mini market showcasing a lot of these uh, small batch ben vendors that are bringing macaroons and hot sauce and you know all these really fun they make great gifts too they do um, so I'm, I'm very excited to you know give that more of a prominent presence you're going for it and yeah. what's best is that you know if you go shop here you are shopping with a lot of very very local vendors. Why is it so important to support local vendors and local you know, artists? It's it's so important because um, you know it, it makes such an impact like mm -hmm. it it really does go straight to not just supporting that particular business but it it shapes the community that we're in you know if people are able to sustain their small businesses it just um, yeah it has a, a ripple effect on everything around us and I also find that when you shop local, the gifts are so much more meaningful mm -hmm. than a few clicks online where you're just like comparison shopping. <laughs> yeah. If you actually take the time to go out and you know find unexpected things, it's it's a lot more thoughtful. Um, but yeah, the impact of you know shopping directly from these makers versus mm -hmm. a big box store is you know just tremendous. Well, I want to go. So yes. how do I go? Where do I have to go? When do I have to so be there? So we're going to be uh, open Saturday and Sunday, mm -hmm. both days from 11 to 6. We are at 501 Union and the Green Building in Gowanus. They're two gorgeous venues at the corner of Union Street and Bond. Mm -hmm. um, and there's going to be plenty of things going on at both uh, venues. There's shopping and food and crafts and all kinds of stuff at both. So there's going to be definitely plenty of reasons to cross the street and check both of them out. 
if I wanted to look up and see what vendors were going to be there, maybe mm -hmm. some of my favorite makers are going to be there and I want to mm -hmm. make sure I hit their booths or tables, yeah. how do I do that? Well, uh, we have a website, brooklynholidaybazaar.com, that has um, our full vendor lineup, all the food and drinks that are going to be there. Mm -hmm. So you can, uh, yeah, find everything there. And uh, our Instagram is also just popping up with, you know, we have our, uh, we put together a little holiday gift guide where we have mm -hmm. some uh, preview of some of the items that you're gonna find there. Mm -hmm. So you can check us out on Instagram too, Brooklyn Makers. Um, so yeah, find us online, but definitely come out and have some fun with us. Sounds fantastic. Thank mm -hmm. you so much for being here. Thank I you for having me. appreciate it. All right. And thank you for being here and for hanging out and listening to us and having such a fantastic time. The holidays are coming up and I hope you have a fantastic Thanksgiving. Uh, we won't be filming the show tomorrow, but we will be back next week. See you next time. 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley Ford, and is produced by Ross Tuttle, Fred Brown, Shireen Bargy, Emily Bogosian, and Kritzi Roberts. Our show is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer and is recorded by our studio technical director, Eric Hallison. Our executive producers are Assis Aisham, Jonathan Lee, and Sasha Mathias. If you want to get in touch, you can leave us a comment, tweet us using the hashtag 112BK, email us at 112BKpodcast at gmail.com, or leave a message at 347-504-0801. And make sure you subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or whichever podcatcher you use. 112BK is part of the Brick Radio family. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org slash radio.